Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Do you go to church most Sundays and pay close attention to the preacher? Do you feel that you know the Bible well? Can you quickly find important Bible verses? Have you even memorized certain verses? Well, sorry, but the Bible author James would not be impressed. He might say something like this, Knowing the Word is great, but doing the Word is what really counts. I'm Andy Baylock. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the letter of James. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he is. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That was James chapter 1, verses 9 to 27. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's important to take out of the Bible what God put into it, rather than reading into the Bible what we want it to say. That's why we created the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the SP, speaker, A, audience, and C, context, before attempting an E, explanation. The speaker is James, one of the half-brothers of Jesus. Jude was another one, by the way. If you remember, John chapter 7, verse 5 tells us that not even the brothers of Jesus believed he was the Messiah, at least not at first. Later, they did believe, and James became a key leader of the Jerusalem church. He also definitely practiced what he preached. He died a martyr and was named James the Just because of his devotion to righteousness. As for the audience, it's Jewish believers specifically. We see that in James 1.1, which reads, To the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. 
The word dispersed is literally in the dispersion, which was a common phrase used at that time. It may refer to a dispersion that occurred because of persecution under Herod Agrippa, or it may be a general phrase for all Israelites of that day because they had all been dispersed from their original lands. Those from the kingdom of Israel were taken into exile around the 8th century BC, and the Judites from the kingdom of Judah were taken into exile during the 6th century BC. Here's an interesting fact, by the way. It was while in this exile that the Judites became known as Jews, which is a basically a, just a change of that word. So here we see the audience is important because of this letter features many Jewish references and speaks to those with a Jewish understanding of works and grace. And that raises a question, Andy. Why is it important to keep the Jewish perspective in mind, especially when interpreting scriptures for Christians today? All right, Jordan. Well, that answer is rather complex. First, it's important to note that Israel was God's earthly people. Individual Christians make up his spiritual people. And being that most people understand the concept of how Christians are saved by grace and not by works, let's just focus on Israel. When we look at the book of Joshua, this was after Moses' death, we see Joshua lead the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan. And because of God's favor, Israel first battled and overtook Jericho, an army that was considered an extremely formidable foe. Afterwards, God ordered Joshua's next conquest to continue onto the small town of Ai. And for strategic purposes, Joshua sent a few thousand spies to Ai. However, these spies were noticed, they were chased out, and some were even killed. So upon hearing this, Joshua cried out to God for an answer as to why this was allowed when it was God's order to do so. And we see that God told Joshua this was because Israel had sinned and transgressed his covenant. Israel, the entire nation. Later in the story, we come to find out a man of the tribe of Judah named Achan had decided to steal some of the forbidden spoils left over from the Battle of Jericho. And as punishment, he and his family were stoned to death and burned as an example to all of Israel. So what we learn here when pertaining to the nation of Israel is that God judges them together, one for all and all for one. And contrary-wise for Christians, Jesus died for each one of us who believe individually. Hence, we see the difference between living under the law and living in grace. Yeah, those are great points, Andy. And we must absolutely keep this in mind because it was a real mind shift for the Jews of James's day. You know, we see repeatedly in the New Testament how the early Christians struggle with this. In fact, this addresses the sea or context of our scripture reading. All the epistles were written during this transition when the age of the law overlapped the age of grace. You know, salvation had shifted away from being Jewish and following the works of the law to believing in Jesus plus nothing, where works had a different purpose. And understanding this distinction is essential to avoiding confusion between Paul's teachings about grace and James's teachings about works. Even Martin Luther, the founder of Protestantism and the man whom God used to reintroduce grace to the world, during the Reformation, struggled with this. Luther called James the epistle of straw because he struggled with putting works into the plan of salvation when the gospel was all about God's grace. He said, quote, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it, end quote. So keeping this challenge in mind, we're ready to get into an explanation of today's scripture reading. 
Let's break down this passage of scripture. And I'll start by reading James 1, 19 to 20. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. You know, here's a great aphorism that all wise Christians should keep in their mind. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. You know, a related bit of wisdom that my parents used to tell me was, God gave you two ears, but only one mouth for a reason. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I heard of that too as a child, I believe. (laughs) And the next bit of wisdom is be slow to anger. Notice anger is not forbidden. We're just to be slow to it. And the original Greek, this word anger, by the way, has this sense of indignation, which is really a social emotion triggered by feelings of unfairness. So you could say it means be slow to speak and slow to protest on your own behalf. I think the point is that anger or indignation does not bring about God's righteousness. And that raises the question, why not? Well, Jordan, my answer to that is this. Becoming angry or indignant are, like you said, they're emotions we mainly get because we feel the innocent, which we often think of ourselves when we think of the innocent, right? We've been offended in some way. So to truly be Christ-like, though, you'd have to think of it a little differently. We should expect to be offended. I mean, that always seems the way it is for Christians. And that's part of the cross that we bear in order with the hopes of one day being joint heirs with Christ, as Paul explains in Romans chapter 8. Now, moving on to James chapter 1, verse 21, it reads, Therefore, ridding yourselves of, or that just means putting aside, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, let's look at that word filthiness. And that just is defined as anything that's sordid, dirty, defiling, And by the way, then as now, it was likely a reference to sexual perversion when you speak of filthiness, right? Now, the opposite is that which is bright and pure, which is how Revelation 19.8 describes the, quote, righteous acts of the saints, that is, the faithful believers. And another word I'd like to look at is wickedness. And the definition of that is simply ill will, malice, or the desire to injure. Now, as Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, he said, We too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice. And keep in mind, that's the same word translated wickedness in the book of James. Also, envy, hateful, hating one another. That's wickedness. Yeah, so doing a deep dive into the Greek words and verb tenses here, James is saying, put aside whatever is dirty and malicious, and in humility, which is the opposite of ego and self-interest, receive, and that's in a continuous tense, so receive continually, the implanted word. And by that, he means the logos within us, or the logos, if you want to say it the Greek way, which we received upon salvation. Because that word is able, meaning right now it can do it, but it's not certain, to save continuously your soul or your suhe, your mind, your sanctification. So I guess, you know, having set that up, Andy, why are these verb tenses and specific words so important here? Well, Jordan, these words call for active, ongoing action in the form of spirit-led works, the Holy Spirit that's sealed within us. 
These are necessary not for salvation of the Spirit, which occurred perfectly after we received Jesus as our Savior. No, it's for salvation of our souls, different from salvation of the Spirit. This salvation is about our earning rewards in order to attain to entrance into Jesus's millennial kingdom on earth. This critical distinction is the doctrinal key that Martin Luther was unable to understand, hence his calling James an epistle of straw. No, James's focus is on rebuke and correction for Christians, again, for those who are already spiritually saved, so that they would not risk losing their soul salvation, which was obviously very, very important to James, and it's very, very important to our Lord. Okay, so now James one twenty two, which says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. So you go to church, and you listen to sermons and Bible studies. You read your Bible, and or you listen to the Bible being read to you. You are a hearer of the word, and that is wonderful. You have faith, because the Bible says in Romans 10.17 that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But as James will argue later, faith without works is useless. That's James 2.20. Yeah, Jordan, he challenges his audience, saying, prove yourselves doers. And he explains why. Because those who are just hearers can often deceive themselves. So here's a question, Jordan. How might that happen today? Yeah, Andy, I think it's really about the repercussions of not thinking about the judgment day at the Bema seat and just thinking your spirit salvation is enough, which of course it is for the purposes of spirit salvation, but it's not for the purposes of the kingdom. And you know, the the opposite of those who believe that you, you're constantly in danger of losing your salvation is people who think that they're so secure they can just cross their arms and wait for death or the rapture. And I think that's how the hearers can deceive themselves by by being in a sense too secure. Obviously, they should be secure in their salvation of the spirit, but not secure in their um, qualifying for the kingdom. Okay, so let's move on now to James 1, 23 to 24, and I'll read that. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. One more question, Jordan. What do you make of James's analogy here? The man looks at his natural face in this mirror, he walks away, and then immediately forgets what kind of person he is. What is he trying to say to us? Yeah, the language is a little strange here. And um, if you break it down, natural face just means the face of his birth, the face he was born with, which means that he sees that he is born a sinner who is incapable of godliness on his own. You know, this reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2.14, which says, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. So he sees himself clearly, but then he soon forgets who he truly is. He deceives himself by in, in this process of forgetting, and so ends up a doer not of the word, but of his true nature, which is indistinguishable from any other man's nature. That's why doing the word implanted is so critical, because you are what you do, and if you just fall into what we described earlier as um, you know just the, the pattern of life and not thinking about actively doing for God, then you will basically do what your natural man wants to do, which is not godly. 
All right, so moving on now, James 1.25, but one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. You know, the metaphor here moves from looking honestly at oneself and seeing the sinner, and then looking with purpose at the opposite of that, the perfect law, the law of freedom. Yeah, and again, Andy, I want to emphasize here, what does this mean, or what did this mean to the Jewish audience? Well, Jordan, this was the good news. It was the gospel. As Jesus had explained to the Jews, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. They were all sinners. So under the law, they were slaves to that sin. But then Jesus added in John 8, 34 to 36, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. And that's what Jesus did. And Paul writes in Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And then later he writes in Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And then he supports that again in Galatians 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Yeah, those are great verses, especially in the context of the Jewish audience and understanding, again, that transition from the law to grace. And you know, James says something similar to keep standing firm. He says it's not enough to see the law of freedom in Christ. You must continue in it. So Andy, why does he use that active, ongoing word? Because again, Jordan, soul salvation is not guaranteed. Our inheritance can be lost. It can be lost. And we could fail to qualify for the kingdom. That's the time when we get to come back and rule and reign with Christ for 1,000 years. But it's not for every Christian. Yeah, and I think of that word, Andy, as you know, continuing, as the continual process of sanctification or renewal. So we have this idea that we have to constantly conf- confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But maybe we don't always put the why behind that and also the why behind the actions of our faith, which is what James is talking about here. By using that word continue, I think he's trying to make it clear and emphasize that it has to be a continual sanctification and a continual and continual action, like we said earlier, in order to stay in this sort of state of grace, if you will, and be earning that, that next level of salvation or qualification for the kingdom. Finally, James summarizes with a clear contrast. He says, don't be a forgetful hearer, but be an active doer. Jordan, tell our audience, what is the reward for being an active doer? Well, James says it's being blessed in what we do presently, as well as being blessed in the future. And you know, our Lord Jesus said something about this to his disciples after his conversation with the rich young ruler in Mark 10 or Matthew 19. He promised that all those who sacrificed for him, that is, became active doers of his words, would receive a hundred times as much in the present age, which I equate to be blessed in what he does, which James said, and would also inherit age-lasting life or life in the kingdom, meaning they'd be blessed in the future as well, and receive a reward when Jesus Christ sits on his glorious throne. That's Matthew 19, 28. So what we can see there is, uh, is a twofold reward. And again, I want to emphasize this. It's, it's in the present but it's also in the future. And obviously the future reward is greater than the present. But even in the, in the present, it says a hundred times as much in the present age. That's what our Lord said. So you get this sense of 
amazing rewards just for what seemed like relatively simple acts, especially when you consider the fact that it's allowing Jesus to work through us and the Spirit to work through us. That is what earns the rewards in the first place. Okay, and moving on, James 1.26, James writes, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, it does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This person's religion is worthless. And wow, those are strong words. I mean, imagine hearing them as a rebuke. You think you're so religious, but you don't control what you say, and as a result, you're deceiving yourself. In reality, your religious practice is worthless. Andy, why does James focus on the tongue here? Well, James considered controlling the tongue to be the most critical aspect of self-control and avoiding sin. He uses two analogies in chapter 3 of this letter, a horse's bit and a ship's rudder, to explain what he means. And you could read about that in James chapter 3, verses 2 to 7. Now, James clearly believes our tongue is the embodiment of our sin nature, the root of all sinful behavior, and the part of us that will cause us to lose our reward in the coming kingdom of Christ Jesus. James suggests that simply learning to control what you say, and he specifically mentions teachers who set the example for other believers, is the key to spiritual maturity and, by implication, qualifying to receive reward in the coming kingdom age. Okay, so we turn to the last verse of our scripture reading, James 1.27. It says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Question, Jordan. Why widows and orphans? Well, Andy, this would be a familiar admonition to a Jewish audience. And again, we have to keep the audience in mind. In the Old Testament, God had commanded... Quote, vindicate the weak and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and destitute, rescue the weak and needy, save them from the hand of the wicked. That's Psalm 82, 3 to 4. God had also warned, quote, you shall not oppress any widow or orphan. If you oppress him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will assuredly hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless, end quote. Exodus 22, 22 to 23. And I guess, and I guess the question I would have, Andy, now turning it around to the present day, because we're, of course, reading from the Old Testament, Exodus, that was a different time for a different people. Should we take this literally today and have maybe have a special program for widows and orphans? Sure. Why not, Jordan? And if so, 1 Timothy 5 has guidelines about how to do so. But Per Psalm 82, helping the, quote, weak and needy, end quote, is the real point. It really is. And this is what is called pure religion. That's 20 minutes, and that's our lesson. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you. We welcome your questions and comments, even if you don't agree with us. Just give us a call and leave a message. Our phone number is 908 271 6717. If you ask a good question or make a good point, we may even put you on the show. Once again, our number is area code 908-271-6717. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by the letters mbs.org. So until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Reserved Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.